All right. Well, this finally happened. Richie Kotzen been trying to get this one for a while. When I asked my audience at the end of the year who they wanted to see on my show in 2022, Richie was the number one guest. So I'm very glad that it finally happened. I'm a big fan of all his work, his solo stuff, Poison, Mr. Big, Winery Dogs, and of course, his latest project, Smith Cotson with Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden. And they have a new album coming out. And also, Richie has some solo tour dates we're going to talk about. Uh, plus, how he we're going to talk about how he almost became the guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne, working with Roger Daltrey from The Who, and so much more. This is a great interview. Stay right there. Welcome to my show here. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, so the first thing is the Smith Cotson. You guys are doing another uh, album. I guess it's half studio and half live tracks, right? It is. Um, so we did a, a bunch of shows earlier in the year, and uh, when we got to England, we recorded uh, two of the shows, and we were able to pull some cool tracks together. And now we've got this uh, this live thing coming out it's five tracks that are live and then five studio recordings that were not on the original album but they were released earlier on a on an ep that um i believe was only available in vinyl i think Hmm. that's what it was yeah that's the better days ep because that's i think that one's on spotify now yeah so the, the songs i think it's five songs from that and they are, they are up there. So those are the same I, ones I, that were recorded with the first album. Correct. Okay. So that was that one that because I heard you say that it was recorded at the the Turks and Caicos. Tell me about the recording process because that sounds. I looked at that place up online. It looks amazing. Yeah, it's really something. It's it's really great down there, and we were able to to bring in some of our gear and set it up. We rented a a wonderful house that uh, had a, a great situation on the water. And, um, you know, we'd get up and kind of do our thing, you know, and then you know, I think Adrian did a lot of fishing. <laughs> He'd go off and do a bit of fishing. And, and, and back then I was doing much for my solo album, 50 for 50. So I would, we would do that sort of thing in the morning and then later in the afternoon get together and, do our work and then go out, um, you know, for dinner afterwards. And it was a great process. And then anything that we weren't able to, to get done there, I've got a studio in Los Angeles that um, we were able to utilize that and get things done. Does that make a difference where you record? I don't know if you wrote the songs there too, but does that bring a different creative vibe to that? Like when it's this beautiful paradise, I mean, you, it's harder to write darker songs or, or be in a bad <laughs> yeah. mood. I mean, I think it's harder to do anything other than just lay on the beach. You know? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I, I will say this because I've always had some sort of facility and ability to record without having to, to rent someone's studio. And for a period of time, for most of my life, it, it was, you know, the studio would be where I live. But for a period of time, I owned a, small commercial building in North Hollywood and I turned that into a recording studio. It was really more the idea of a a real estate venture to be honest, but it it worked out quite well because by selling studio time, I paid the holding cost of the building and it appreciated and I got out. But the point I'm trying to make is that uh, when I had that studio for the three or four years that I had it, it was probably my least productive period creatively because What would happen is, in the old days, meaning before I had the studio, I'd have an idea, I'd stumble into my home studio at 3 in the morning, and I'd I'd work, and by the time the sun came up, I'd have, you know, something going. And when I had it off-site, I would have to get in the car, drive down there, Mm. open the gate, turn off the alarm, fire up the system, and by the time I went through everything, I had forgotten what it was that I went there to do, so... That a long-winded answer to your question, ultimately, there's no place like home. So I think I do my best work 
what I can just kind of get up at any hour and just get to it. So you have a studio in your house now? Yeah, I do. I have it. Um, you know, it's not what you would think. I mean, it doesn't look really like a studio, but um, there's two rooms that are wired together. Hmm. And obviously one room is a tracking room where I rehearse. You know, Adrian and I rehearsed the band there before we did the California dates. And then we went into a, a larger facility. But initially we, we rehearsed here to work out all the details. And then, um, you know, the winery dogs, we just finished our third record. It's being mastered. And we recorded that here at my studio. But, uh, yeah, you know, I've got all the gear that I've had, you know, the need stuff and the API stuff. I still have all that good stuff. So that's uh, cool. A lot of damage. Yeah. I didn't even know about the third winery dogs. I was going to ask you if, the, if there was something in the works. So it's already recorded and ready to go then. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm super, I, mean, I don't want to take focus off of what's around the corner here, which is obviously the, the Smith Cotson, uh, live bit, which, you know, uh, I'm super excited about that but yeah the winery dogs the third album the music exists it's been mixed it's been approved and it has been mastered so the mm. what we're looking at now is when are we going to put it out but the consensus seems to be that next year 2023 will be the winery dog year and i think the three of us really are excited about you know getting back at it it's been way too long, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I love those first two records that you guys made and I never got a chance to see you live. So you will tour in conjunction for that record. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's going to be a bunch of touring. I, I know they're putting dates together, so we're all very excited about that. Okay. So, so right now you got the better days and nights, Smith Cotson that's out on CD and digital September 16th. And then if people want the vinyl, it comes out in November. wait, is it coming out in November? <laughs> you're, you're asking the wrong guy about the release dates. I, I, I don't, I don't really know. I sound like a fool, but I'm not sure. I know I saw something come up that our song uh, charted in a, in, a, in a nice position there, uh, and uh, so I know the song is up the first single, but I don't know. Sometime in September. Um, okay. Yeah, September sixteenth. Before I start is, talking to yeah. people, I better get the details. <laughs> yeah, I think September sixteenth. I was just reading. It looks like the the EP was that was already released. That was that was on uh, November because that's the one. Like I said, it's on Spotify now. But sometimes the vinyl takes right. longer, so I don't know if it was a different date. But it looks like you can um, the CD and digital. Yeah, coming out September sixteenth. So that and then you've got some shows Smith Cotson and then some shows that are just solo Richie. Well, there's no Smith Cotson shows out there right now. We've, we've done those. That oh, okay. Was the back, yeah, that was in the beginning of the year. Right now, I believe I've got about 39 shows up. We just did five shows, uh, last week. We did our LA show, which was at the Canyon Club in Agora Hills. We did a, um, we went down to San Juan Capistrano. There were five shows that we did. And then we had a couple of days off, and now tomorrow we're picking it up again at Morro Bay. And I'm going to stay out until September 25th, I believe, is the last show in New Orleans. But we're really, we're really going, you know, going all over the place. We're going up to New Hampshire. We've got three nights in New York, um, and uh, you know, Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska's in there. I'm trying to. Think off the top of my head, um, some Midwest plays. Yeah, it's all over. I've got the dates in front of me. It's yeah. It's funny though, because like yeah, you're you're going to Nevada and California and uh, and Colorado, but not. I'm in Arizona, and so you're skipping Arizona. So, but if you wanted to add that date, it looks like there's (laughs) between Vegas and Colorado, there's a day off. So if you wanted to to add that, I would I'd love to come see you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's so. I don't want to say it's frustrating because it's not, it's not that it's frustrating because anytime you can get some, get routing and, and get a tour that makes sense and, you know, that doesn't, you know, that isn't at risk, um, it's a great thing. But, you know, it's just strange how you look at it when it's, oh, well, we could have went here, there, here, there. But the reality is 
is you get the offers that are available at the time that they're available. So it's just such a, it's hmm. a trick. I wouldn't want to be a booking agent because you've got to take all these things into account. You know, the bus, and now there's new things in play where certain drives have to be broken up, you know, with time in between. So it's just getting trickier and trickier, but, um, you know, it is what it is at this point. I'm just happy to be getting back out. Yeah, and do the shows. And then you have the uh, – tell my audience about the VIP thing because I was just looking that up, and I was like, that sounds really cool. You let them come to sound check, which is kind of rare these days to, for musicians to allow fans into the sound yeah. check. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have much to hide when it comes to, to that sort of thing. And I thought, you know, I know a lot of people do the packages, and, and I thought, well, you know, I should do them too. And I think the real value there is kind of like a peek behind the curtain. They can come in and watch the sound check. So it's not like it's not like we sound check and then come out and do a performance. They're literally seeing, you know, me getting frustrated with the fact that I can't hear my voice or, you know, a, a ring and a floor time. They're seeing the whole sound check. And, uh, and so then, you know, we go through that and we play, you know, a, a bit to, to make sure everything is working the way it should. And then I come off the stage, I'll come down and say hello and have a chat, take a photograph. There's some things that they get as part of the package, um, you know, poster, and photograph, and a pass. And then, you know, what's happening is a lot of people are bringing things for me to sign. I know a lot of folks have bought my signature model Fender guitar, as well as the, the, the pedal that I, that I have out there with Tech 21 and Fly Rig. So... I see a lot of those. I, I autograph graph those. And sometimes folks have questions about the fly rig, like how do you set it for this or that? And why do you use two of them? You know, all this sort of stuff. So it's a cool opportunity to just, you know, have a chat and have a look behind the curtain. And you don't have any limits on, you won't sign this or that, or you only sign two items or any, no rules like that. Well, the, yeah. I mean, they, they, management, you know, the, front office basically says, hey, you know, we've got to keep this thing running smooth, so, you know, no more than two personal items to sign, but you know, it depends really, like, if there's only a handful of folks there, I'll sign whatever you have. That's fine. If it's a if it's a, a large group of people, then it's not really fair to make everybody stand around and sign 15 things for one person. So, it's kind of a play-it-by-ear kind of, kind of thing, but, um, I think everybody seems to to be happy with the way it goes. That's that's so great. I love that you that musicians can do that because I know you guys don't get as many uh, album sales, obviously. But the meet and greet is such a great money maker, and it, it's not that much extra work for you. I think I think it's a great thing, and I think the fans love it. I know that. Yeah, it's a different God. It's just such a different time. I mean, imagine. I mean, I can't imagine like when I was a kid if there was some kind of you know way that I could meet Eddie after the show, after a Van Halen show, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just a, it's a different time. You know, the musicians back then had this kind of, you know, mysterious larger than life persona because you didn't have all this social media. And I, I who's to say what's better or worse, but I, I think, you know, I, I like meeting people, you know, and the whole thing revolve, all what we're doing here revolves around people. So I think it all adds up. It all makes sense. No, that's yeah, that's really cool. Now you have some shows uh, with John Karabi, I think. I just I just had him on the show. He's great. Are you guys? Would you guys do any songs together, like just jam or something, or like one or two songs? That wasn't discussed. You know, I know that our show is pretty much runs the way it runs, and I don't really. I'm embarrassed to say that, despite the fact that I played in a full time cover band from the age of fifteen until I graduated high school, I don't know a lot of covers. And so I, I wouldn't know, you know, I'm, I wouldn't even know what to do. But that's not to say one night we don't do something. You know, you never know. But it's kind of funny. It reminds me of, you know, years back, you know, I was working with the winery dogs and they wanted to do a, a cover album. And it was just like, I just, No, oh, I'm losing you. What? You're breaking up. Oh, what? you're back. Okay. Oh, can you hear me? I'm yeah. Sorry. You were, so sorry. You were saying uh, you were trying to do a song with the winery dogs and you didn't know it? Or oh, what? no. You, years ago, you know, 
the, the, board, the guys want, wanted to, there was chatter of doing a covers album, and I just couldn't get myself motivated to do it. It wasn't that I was wanted to be difficult one way or another, but when it came, literally came time to like learn the cover song and then try to figure out how to play it and then you know, getting in my head of like, well, this song already exists and the performance is amazing. Why am I even doing it? You know, I just could never, I could never get excited enough to do it. Now, I have done cover songs live, but they're usually songs that have influenced me in some way or another. Like for years, I would do a version of Sarah Smile from Hall and & Oates. And, you know, Daryl Hall literally grew up eight miles down the road from where my house was. And so, you know, he was an influence. So, you know, I, I play a Daryl Hall song, you know, but... I don't know. We'll see what happens, you know, as far as uh, John and I jumping up and doing something together. I sure love the guy, so it definitely would be would be fun to share a moment with him. Or, you know, you guys could write a song together and perform it. That would be fun. I'd, I'd be down for go. that, too. Now, that would be something. That, yeah. that, you know, it, it, it's kind of an interesting connection between us. I mean, we're both uh, Philadelphia area guys, so there's that. And around the same time, when I replaced CeCe DeVille for a brief moment in Poison, he jumped in Motley Crue when Vince left. So, you know, there's definitely, you know, some interesting connections between the two of us. So who knows? You yeah. Know, might be onto something. It's interesting, though, yeah, because yeah, you both replaced those guys in, in the quote-unquote hair bands or whatever, but neither one of you really has that sound on your own. Like, your solo stuff doesn't sound like that kind of stuff, but I love it all. I love Poison. I love Motley Crue. I love Karabi solo. I love you, your solo stuff. Yeah, well, I think we come from a different era. I mean, you have to understand, I, I grew up listening to a lot of R&B music. My first concert was Stevie Wonder in the round at the Valley Forge hmm. uh, venue outside of Philly. And then literally a month later, I saw George Benson, who completely changed everything for me, uh, you know, singing and playing the guitar. And so, you know... Um, and then with the rock thing, I kind of, I kind of leaned a little heavier. Like, you know, I grew up listening to Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden. So, you know, um, it's just, that's just my, you know, my influences are a bit different, but it's not to say that I didn't enjoy my time in the band. I sure enjoyed making that record. The Poison one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love I, that I, album. That's how I kind of really yeah. became a fan of yours. I mean, I think I had heard like your song on Bill and Ted's, but then I really became a fan of you through Poison. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I love that album. I think it's underrated. I think, and you still perform stand live sometimes, right? Yeah, from time to time, it it, it finds its way into the set, and um, uh, yeah, I love that song. I love playing it. There's a couple other ones on that record. Uh, Until you suffer some. Um, I've done that acoustically already in the past. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's, that's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I it's, it's interesting when you go through all this stuff in your career, you know, for me, like back in the cover band days, back in, in the, in the tri-state area, which for me would have been Philadelphia, uh, New Jersey and Delaware playing all those rooms and then all of a sudden the whole shrapnel thing and then, you know, getting signed to a major label from that and then the Poison era and just all these, like, and then Mr. Big, there's all these, like, little chapters, you know, like, um, you know, it's, it's just strange when you look back at it, it's like, it's literally chapters, it's, it's so different. It's not like I, did, I didn't do the same thing over and over and over and over again my whole life. It's like, it's kind of colorful if I look back at it, you know? Yeah. So I, this was another thing I, I didn't know about. So I don't know. My audience probably doesn't know about this either, but be, after poison before Mr. Big, there was a brief time mm. where you were considered for Ozzy's band after Zach Wilde left. Yeah, that is true. And I, that's interesting that you know that I, I must've mentioned that somewhere in, in the past, but in 1995, uh, I, I was, I just, um, Put out my record on Geffen, and uh, my manager had it all set up. The deal was negotiated; everything was in play. And I, I went to New York, and I remember I watched a, a movie in Ozzy's hotel room with him, and he was telling me stories. And the next morning, I had a meeting at breakfast with Sharon, and she was, you know, saying how great it was going to be, and, and 
So um, I was sending riffs to them uh, for mm. him to write to. And somehow, I mean, this is how, how I see it, and I'm sure it could be seen in different lights from different sides, but the way I saw it was I had mentioned to somebody in the business uh, to keep it quiet that, you know, I was in New York and we played together and they told me I had the gig and and it was, um, this was after Steve Vai actually had left. He had, he had done some work and left. And I told the, I told a friend in the business and the friend in the business went into a chat room. Back then it was AOL. <laughs> and he leaked that the ex-Poison guitarist, Richie Cotton, was going to be the new guitar player in Ozzy Osbourne. And I swear to God, the minute that came up, a lot of people were kind of getting pissed off because they thought they didn't know who I was. They saw the word poison. And back then poison didn't have the, didn't command the kind of respect musically that Ozzy did. And so the way I saw it is that that camp just totally turned on the situation. And I never heard from them again. Although I did see him years later in the Beverly Hills hotel at, at brunch and, um, he was sitting there and I went over and said hello and he was very nice and so was Sharon. But um, I, I'm convinced that, that I know that's what happened because all through the 90s, one of the things that was interesting with Poison, as great as that record was, and as well as it did, all things considered, when I left the band, that being associated with any of those bands from that era of music was just... I mean, MTV just crushed all of them. They wouldn't play their, you know, now they're playing stadiums, so who has the last laugh? But they, back then, it was like the kiss of death having had been associated with an 80s metal band through the 90s was a real problem. It was a real problem for me uh, trying to, to, to kind of shake the stigma for many years. And then once the Internet opened up and I didn't have to depend on the record label, I could basically do whatever I wanted and then the people could hear the music and decide for themselves. But there was a lot of turbulence in the, in the mid nineties coming out of that. Um, but you know, it, it adds character and I, I wouldn't change anything. I, I think it really, you know, I probably would have never written a song like you can't save me for example, had I not gone through all those other things. No, that's really cool. And now do you have a, because I know we talked about the Smith Cotson and the Winery Dogs, but then also you have a new solo album coming out as well. No, I don't. I don't have a new solo album. That's the only thing I don't have after having done 24 of them. I think people could take a break from that. But uh, <laughs> the last record I did was um, an album called 50 for 50. Yeah, which yeah. I released. That's probably what you're talking about. I released that on February 3rd. 2020 and we literally had like everybody else we had tons of shows booked i have four continents worth of dates and it's going to be this big big tour and then you know it all came down and somehow when it all came down i kind of realized that well i certainly didn't did not want to see any kind of situation like what happened but you know sometimes taking a break and, and kind of retooling the shed is a good thing Okay, so so no new album in the works, or that's that's going to be on the back burner because the Winery Dogs is the next thing after Smith Cotton. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, I've got to say I, I really got to do a little bit of living now because I, I've done, you know, it was fifty for fifty, then it was me and Adrian, and now I just did the Winery Dogs. It's like okay, I can't, I don't want to keep writing the same, you know, twelve songs over and over again. So uh, I think the move is you know, enjoy this tour that we've got for my solo stuff. And hopefully, you know, people checking out this interview will, will come check out the show. Go to richiecotson.com. You'll see all the dates. You can buy the VIP packages, whatever it is you're looking for. But um, we're going to do that. Then we've got the release of the new Smith Cotson thing. And then somewhere at the end of the year, beginning of next, we're going to go full winery dogs and, um, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of live touring with that as well. Is recording new music for you, is it more just for your own creative outlet or does it, is it somewhat lucrative? Do you make some sort of money or do you lose money on it? Because I know you're making, I saw some of the videos they are very uh, high quality professional videos. 
I mean, I see millions of streams on Spotify, but I know that doesn't really add up. Does it? Can you place the music? Because I also heard like Winery Dogs and like Monday Night Football before and stuff. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's a situation, you know, I, look, to answer your question, I, I've never done anything other than make a living on my music. And so I was fortunate that when I was very young, you know, I started writing songs. And, and for me, it's always been about the song. That's that's literally how I, you know, live the lifestyle that I live. It's not because of my guitar playing. The guitar playing is a part of it. But the real the real thing is having made so many albums and owning the masters, I don't have to do, uh, you know, a lot of business in order to see revenue. You know, when I say a lot of business, I mean like mainstream, like a massive hit. So, um, to answer your question, of course there's, there's revenue there. Um, and then you've got your touring and, you know, I've never been like, you know, I went through phases where I've spent money uh, in, in kind of a reckless way, probably hmm. mostly on clothing. <laughs> but uh, and you'd never guess it because one of my friends years ago said, man, you're the only person that can walk into a room wearing $3,000 in wardrobe and still look homeless. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. But, you know, um, I... I I don't know. I, I, I'm going through this phase too where I like, I have so much stuff and I'm thinking the less stuff I have, I think the, the more freer I feel in my mind. I, I just did inventory on my guitars and I took photographs of them and I counted 87 stringed instruments in the house. And I'm starting to think, you know, I just don't need, I don't care to have all this stuff, you know? Do you um, typically play one guitar when you go live or you, you, do you need like five or 10 or? I've done many, many, many a tour, especially overseas, where I just take my Telecaster and that is it. One guitar. Now, on this tour, I'm playing the Stratocaster quite a bit. I have a signature Strat Defender. There's a red one and a white one. And they had just sent me this red guitar. And although the wood is the same spec as it always is, this one in particular is really light. And it's so comfortable. So... Um, I've been using it and breaking it in. And so you'll see me, if you look at the, any footage from this tour, you'll see me with a red strat. I still play the, the white strat. And of course, I'm playing my Telecaster quite a bit. So there's three guitars that I'm traveling with this time, but I've done tours with just one guitar. And what about, what other, other gear? I'm not a gearhead, but I know there's some people that love that yeah. stuff. So is there other like pedals and things that you bring with you? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I have my own pedal that um, I designed in connection uh, together with the Tech 21 called the Fly Rig. That has been for sale for almost 10 years now, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, it's a multi-effect pedal. It's small. It's got everything that I need in it. And I use two of them. I don't want to bore you with the details why I use two, but it, has, it serves a purpose, okay. a certain function. So those two are connected. And then I've got a, a, an old school uh, crybaby wah, Dunlop wah. And the, the one trick that's kind of interesting is the wah is modified to see phantom power out of the input jack of the fly rig. So if you use a stereo cable quarter inch, it will send on that, on that middle rung, it'll send voltage into the modified wah. And so literally you just plug in one thing and the washies power through it it's pretty it's pretty clever and and that was the guys at tech 21 did that for me so maybe the move would be at some point to do a signature wah that's designed to live with that fly rig it's something we've talked about we just haven't done it yet now that's cool and you play bass too right because i know i was i was listening to one of the smith cotson songs and the bass line was so cool and i was like oh who's the bass player then i realized it's you and adrian playing all the bass too I love bass guitar. I mean, you got to think about, you know, I, I've had the luxury of having bands with some of the greatest bass players. I mean, Jeff Berlin played on one of my albums when I was very young. Stu Hamm. I was in a band with T.M. Stevens. Stanley Clark and I had a band together. Billy Sheen and I have been in two separate bands together. So, Glenn I, Hughes, you know, isn't I he? Love, yeah, Glenn. I mean, I, I love Larry Graham and, and um, you know, 
you know, Byron Miller. I mean, I, I just love bass guitar, and I, I really, it's something in my solo music that I, I don't really let anybody near it because I just have the vision for what I want to hear the bass doing and it has nothing to do with being a guitar player. It's, you know, when I pick up that bass, I'm a bass player. I'm thinking about, you know, the guys like Larry Graham and, and Stanley Clark and, and, you know, that I grew up listening to, Nate Watts. I mean, love the bass guitar. Didn't you do a song with Gene Simmons too? You know, I did. Gene did a solo album when I had my recording studio. He, mm. He came in there. So I don't know how how it ended up happening. Someone connected us, and I'll never forget. He showed up with this tape, a cassette, and it was a format that I hadn't seen anyone use in, in a long time. And I said, "Oh, I'm like, what am I going to do?" I, I, I said to the engineer, "So we got to do something. We don't have this machine." And so, you know, my engineer handled it, went and rented the machine, this and that, but. Gene did a solo album there, and uh, he was a wonderful client and a great guy. And I had you know, I had met him many years prior to that uh, because he, uh, the guy that was managing me was consulting for Kiss, so I had met Gene through him. But um, yeah, he's a great guy, and, and also been very supportive of of my endeavors publicly when the Winery Dog album came out him and paul both said some very nice things so uh that's very cool that is really cool uh you mentioned one of the chapters of your career mr big that's that's another uh i'm a fan of them i had eric on the show i've had uh i had paul i haven't had billy yet but um talk about that era because you you did two albums with them and, and two of those songs are like really big in japan and they're great songs i know shine you co-wrote that one with eric super fantastic you didn't write that, no, but that's no, another no, great one. No, I, I didn't. Eric did not write Shine. That was me. That was I. I wrote Shine, oh. and I'll tell you how that happened. Um, we were making that record, and our producer was Richie Zito, who was a friend of mine from way back when. I met him on the Poison album. He produced that too. And he, you know, this is someone that's had multiple top ten six singles and worked with you know countless you know A list pop stars. So. He kept saying, he said, you know, you, you guys don't have a first single. You don't have a first single. And so I played him Shine. And when I played him Shine, it was done. It was a demo with the exception that I didn't have the lyrics for the verse. But I had the chorus recorded, and I had uh, all the melodies. There was guitars. And we were trying to write the lyrics to the song. And... He said, just think, you know, you need an opening line. He said, how do you feel right now? And I just said this. I said, I never really feel quite right. And I don't know why. I just know that something's wrong. And he goes, fuck, write that down. That's the opening line of the song. That's it. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, write that down. That's your opening line. So he literally lit, lit a fire under my ass to, to finish it. And I credit him as a, a co-write. Um, with the tune of a small percentage because if it wasn't for him huh. lighting that fire, that song would still be on the hard drive. So that tune was mine. The one that Eric wrote that was a single was on the previous record called Super Fantastic, yeah. which was a really, really great song. I mean, Eric is such a great songwriter as well. So he and I had a lot of fun in that era, just kind of throwing ideas back and forth. We did a song that it was like a B-side called You Don't Have to Be Strong. And he and I wrote that together. And I haven't heard it in many years, but I remember that. I remember recording that and thinking, that's a pretty special tune. You know, there's something cool about that. So I, I really enjoyed writing with him. And then the whole catch for me was, you know, I wanted to play with Billy Sheehan. So, um, you know, it was like a win-win. And Eric uh, also... Nobody probably knows. I, Eric is one of the first people I met when I came to California to record my second album. Actually, but he was one of the earlier friends that I made that was in in a big band. And I remember we drove together to the Bammies, and um, and we, we shared a limo with me and a couple people. And then the following year, this was pretty cool. 
Eric and I performed at the Bay Area Music Awards with uh, Neil Sean. It's basically Journey. It was Neil, Jonathan, uh, Ross Valerie, Narda Michael Walden on drums, and then Mike Varney was playing guitar as well from Shrapnel Records. So hmm. we did this really cool show. I think we did two or three songs. And that was, you know, all this stuff was happening. You know, it's like all these crazy, like, holy fuck, I'm playing with Neil Sean. <laughs> you know, like all that kind of shit. That is that is amazing. Is it, he, Eric? He did my show. He's so funny. I don't. Know, I heard you say that when you guys recorded Actual Size, you made it at his house, and you guys just ended up getting drunk a lot. Like I don't know if he was drunk when he did my interview, but he. I can't imagine drinking with him seems like a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, I mean his personality is a little different than mine. I I remember one night we were we were talking. We were hanging out at the Sunset Marquee, which is where I used to go when I wasn't on tour. I, I would be in there. And we were sitting outside, and I was talking to a young lady. And he he got a lot of energy, and he was kind of, you know, shuffling around with his hands. And and he's trying to get my attention. And I could see him out of the corner of my eye, and he, he was getting frustrated because I know he wanted to say something to me. But in my mind, I'm like, listen, I can't break you know, this conversation with this lady because, you know, you're going to fuck up my whole night here. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I'm ignoring him and in his, like, you know, shuffling around, he knocks a drink off the table and the drink spills all over my leg. Oh, shit. But I don't even acknowledge it because I don't want (laughs) to, you know, break this conversation. And the girl doesn't realize that it happened because I don't react to it. And so, you know, I mean, all of a sudden he's just flipping out. God damn it! I just threw a drink on you. You know this and that. So, but <laughs> all in good fun. I mean, the, the guy is uh, super talented. You know, um, and uh, we had a lot of fun on those tours. You know, he's a great guy. Yeah. So, and obviously that's how you is that where you met Billy originally? No, I met Billy un, unconnected to my relationship with uh with it with eric hmm. i dated a girl that he used to date and she took me over to his house and that's when i remember meeting him like officially for the first time and and uh we just hang out hung out and you know was nice guy and and then what happened there here's here's something that nobody knows this, this is something that you'll find interesting is that there was a point where Mr. Big was inactive and Billy and Pat Torpy wanted to do something together and they called me in and it was a, a power trio. It was like really like, you know, what I'm doing now with Billy you know, and Mike, but back then, you know, uh, it was Pat. And so Pat Torpy, me and Billy were going down to mates and we were writing songs together. And nothing ever came of it. I don't know why. Maybe Mr. Big went back to it. Uh, I don't know what happened. But one of those songs ended up on one of my solo records. I have a record called What Is. And there's a song on there called Locked Out. And that was a song that came out of those writing sessions. We wrote the music together. And then I took it home and, and wrote the words and, and, and finished it up and they came in and recorded it. Um, but I don't think anybody knows that that uh, ever happened. And that, that was before I joined Mr. Big. So that must have been, that was hmm. probably 1997, 1998, somewhere around there. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Maybe, uh, maybe the blabbermouth wants to pick that story up. I don't know. I think it's interesting. <sighs> well, I'm sure they'll pick up a lot of stuff because you, you're asking me all kinds of, questions that i've never been asked before so I'm oh sure really a lot of stuff in here okay well yeah i mean yeah yeah that's you're, good you're digging deep I'm digging trying deep. to. Yeah. I mean, I just, they told me today, they're like, Hey, do you, you, can you interview him today? I was like, ah, I, I want, usually want more time to, to, to dig deep, but I guess is, I did enough, good enough job. Is this an audio? I mean, are people going to hear me speaking or are you transcribing this? No, no, it's just a podcast. So yeah, it's all, um, typically okay, so I would have, a, yeah, typically I'd have video, but, uh, your manager said that you're in like a bad area. So you just want to do audio. So it'll be video of me and audio of you. And I'll put a nice picture of you next to it so people oh, know what God, you look like. yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, please put something flattering. Uh, <laughs> of oh, yeah. course so I will. Not, this is not a print interview. This is actually they're, they're going to hear no. my So they my can't. Words. But okay. you know, sometimes Blabbermouth will take a podcast and they'll take a piece of it, and then that will become a yeah. headline. And then I've seen a couple yeah, yeah. of of yours on there. Uh, yeah, when I was doing yeah. my research today. Yeah, I mean, I don't give a fuck. It's fine. But, yeah, whatever. <laughs> this as, is as, some... long as, someone don't say, as long as someone doesn't say something that I didn't say, right. then that would be a problem. But the reality is that I'm saying it and you're recording it. So, I mean, you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. No, yeah. and I don't edit much, you know, from like, you know, I don't edit out the ums and the ahs and all that. So it's pretty much unedited so people can hear it and make their own decision. But I don't think you said anything oh, super controversial or anything like that. So No. Yeah. No. No, I'm not. I'm not a controversial guy. No, yeah, no. You've just had such an amazing career. So yeah, we talked about the highlights. Was was one of the highlights has to be the Rolling Stones, the opening for them in Japan. Was that like one of your biggest highlights of your career? That was a real crazy moment. I, I remember at the end of it, the, the last show before I went on, uh, we they, the Stones will take a photograph with the opening act professional oh. photograph although the one that they gave me it was a file and it's pixelated shit i printed it out the quality's not so good anyway but uh i remember um ron wood came up to me and put his hand on my throat said my god your voice you remind me of rod stewart he said you're a cross between rod stewart and bernard fowler and Bernard is someone that I know. He's the background singer for many, many years. And he looked at Mick and goes, did you hear this kid sing? And, and, and Mick said, no, you know, well, Mike, yeah, sorry. And, uh, but that was kind of a surreal moment, you know, actually having his hand on my, touching my throat was sort of crazy, but, uh, it was cool. It was, you know, beyond cool. But I, I'll tell you something. I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it until after the first show played out because in my mind I thought there's a huge chance that I'm going to get over there and someone in the organization said opening act Richie who what no 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 we're not doing that you know what I mean mm. uh, or somebody it, goes it, on it, the it, AOL it, chat room and spoils it or something uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly no, so, that's uh, smart yeah yeah none of that shenanigans so, but no, it, it was it was great, man. I mean, it was. I'll tell you, it was the easiest, the easiest gigs I ever did because I, I didn't take any crew because I knew a lot of the guys on the crew. They knew me, and they took care of us. I mean, the monitors were killer. I could hear everything. I mean, it, it was it was really great. It was really cool. That's cool. Is there anyone else that's that's left? Is there anyone on your, on your bucket list? Because I feel like Rolling Stones, that's got to be number one for a lot of people. Or is there somebody else that you haven't had a chance to work with? I don't know. Maybe Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan, you know? Ooh, yeah. Songwriting with Bob Dylan, that would be to write a song with him and see that process. That would be cool. Paul McCartney. Ooh. <laughs> you know, Paul McCartney, you know? I, yeah, that, that would be... Mind. That would be. A, are you a Led Zeppelin guy? Would you, like Robert Plant, Jimmy Page? Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we grew up on all that stuff. I, mean, I guess you know the Who. I, I really, I love, I love the Who. I love their songs and the the writing and the lyrics. You know, and I actually played with Roger Daltrey too. Um, I have a funny story, real quick. Uh, but many, many years ago, I participated in this thing called Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And what this is, is that people uh, will pay a certain amount of money and they get put into uh, a group, a band, if you will. And then a well-known musician of a certain pedigree will coach them and then write a song with them, teach them some cover songs. Ultimately, they perform. And then there's always a top A-list rock star that will come around meet everybody maybe play a song with them as well and on this camp it was roger daltrey from the who and um i was one of the guitar players that was going to perform in his band because he had agreed to do five or six songs as the grand finale and this was taking place at bb king's in new york which is a is a 
funny sounding room if you don't know what you're doing and have the right sound man. It's a very dry and it's one of those stages that doesn't forgive anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, so he was going to play and the sound check starts and immediately he starts, you know, getting kind of aggressive about the fact that he can't hear his voice. And, and I had just played there too much earlier. So I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, I, I know exactly what's going on and I know how to fix it. But, you know, it's Roger Goldstreet, you know, I'm not going to say anything. So this starts getting like kind of out of control a little bit where he's like, you know, threatening to not play with the band and just get up with an acoustic guitar and play a song. So I said, excuse me, Mr. Dolphy. I said, I know you don't know who I am, but I'm a singer. I just played this room a couple of months ago. I had the same problem you're having now, and I have a workaround, and it got me through my show. Do you want to try it? And he's like, you know, it's just right, mate, no problem. Show me what you've got. So I, I basically do this workaround, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to bother explaining what it was, but I got his vocal where it needed to be in the room, and the band was not stepping on it, and we had a great show. It was really cool. That's awesome. That's that's. I'm glad that story went a good way, and he didn't get pissed off at you or something. Yeah, um, he was pretty pissed off, but he wasn't pissed at me. But then once once we got it fixed, then he was coming over and said, "Well, you know, I play this one song. I got you know, no one really knows it. Can I show it to you?" And he starts you know showing me this kind of you know thing, and I'm like. Oh my God, I can't not get this because, you know, I'm, now, now he thinks I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't want to look like a fool. But it was some really strange timing thing that, like, I mean, I have no problem playing in odd meters, you know, um, but this thing was like, I'm like, what is going on? It's like that Johnny Cash tune that's kind of tricky, uh, that kind of moves in a weird way. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but. nonetheless it turned out to be a great show yeah oh that sounds super fun yeah you've worked with so many amazing people uh todd rundgren was one of them too i think like how was he to work with? no 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 did you never work with him no never met him huh why why did i thought i saw like multiple things with your name and his maybe i don't know must be confused i think there's a tribute record floating around that i might have might have played a few chords on oh okay there's a probably a tribute record to todd bronger okay maybe that's what it was yeah you you did a bunch of those tribute records that was kind of a big phase in the i feel like in the 90s early 2000s everyone was doing the tribute stuff it was yeah it was a thing and it was a way you know for out of work musicians to get a couple bucks (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um you know it was cool all those different things that people come up with for, for us to do but you know, now, luckily, uh, I've, I've worked myself into a pretty good spot over the last 10 years. I have a, I have a joke, but it's not a joke. And it's called, you know, you've heard of the power of yes, but my thing is the power of no. And there is nothing more liberating and freeing than saying no thanks and not giving an explanation. Because most of the grief and misery... I've experienced in my life is because I've agreed to do something that in my gut I know is the wrong thing for me to be doing. So it's all about the power of no. Hmm. Like what are examples like working with certain musicians or shows or nah, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm just saying in general, like if someone okay. asks you to do something, apply it to yourself. Like if someone asks you to do something and you know, you just don't want to do it, but yeah. you end up doing it and it turns into a fucking mess. Right. You know, like it could be anything like letting a, 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 a strange relative, uh, you know, borrow your car <laughs> or whatever, you know, right. it's like, you know, it's just, I think over the years I've just kind of realized, well, you know, money isn't everything, especially if you have a couple dollars laying around. Uh, and so even beyond that, if you don't, sometimes your peace of mind is much better than the aggravation of doing something and compromising yourself to do something that in your heart you really don't want to do. No, that's, that's so it's the, yeah. the, the power of no. I love it. That's great advice. Back to your music here. We, we got to wrap this up. Uh, you have the Smith Cotson is coming out. You're going to be doing solo shows and then winery dogs album coming out next year and shows for that as well. 
So lots of great stuff yeah. for you. People can, and like I said, the VIP, we talked about that. So people can get those. That's really awesome. Great stuff. Um, I always end with a charity too. Is there a charity that you want to promote here at the end? If people have a few uh, extra bucks left over after they buy your album. It'd be wonderful if they donated to the cause of ALS. Okay. Garrett's disease. That would, that would be a really lovely thing. Okay, perfect. I'll put that in the notes along with uh, your website and the Smith Cotson website. And I think does Winery Dogs they got a website too, right? I think that should be. I'll put that in I there hope too. We do. Yeah, they can we follow should. you on social media. Follow Winery Dogs. Follow all this stuff. You're making yeah, great music. Me, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram, Richie underscore Cotson. I got the blue check mark. There's a lot of. We all have it. We all have these guys that, are, or who knows who they are. They're running around pretending to be us. Right. You know, if they ask you for money, blue, that's usually a tell. That, yeah, but yeah. I, I got the blue check mark, and so, you know, that's me. Awesome. Well, hopefully I'll get a blue tick one of these days, too. I'm, I'm working towards that. So yeah. thank you so much for doing this. Lots of great stories. I appreciate you being so open as well. So uh, hopefully I can catch a show. I'd love to see you. I've never seen you live. It looks like an amazing experience from the tracks that I've heard off this new record that are live. It sounds amazing, so... Right on. All right, man. Well, thank you, and uh, talk to you another time. Okay, thanks, Richie. See ya. Uh, cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. Okay, thank you again to Richie Kotzen. Make sure to check out the new singles out now from Smith Kotzen, and the upcoming full album will be out soon as well. Richie is on tour with his solo band, so check his website for tour dates, and there will be a new Winery Dogs out in 2023. The best way to keep up with all this stuff, of course, is to follow Richie on social media and his other projects, Smith Cots and the Winery Dogs. That way you'll get the quickest updates on what he's doing. If you want to support my show, your likes, shares, and comments on YouTube and social media help me out immensely. I'm eternally grateful for those. I appreciate all your support. Have a great day and shoot for the moon. 